Well, good evening. <laughs> it's great to uh, be with you on this bank holiday weekend, and uh, I hope your weekend is going well so far. Well, ours has been good. Bex has actually been away on the Hillsong Women's Color Conference. Did anyone go? I know there was quite a group from, there's a few hands at the back. I hear, I hear it was brilliant that you had a really, really good time and uh, love to hear more about that at some point. On Saturday morning, I was with the boys and I said to them, they were all going slightly crazy, so I said to them, guys, we're going to go for a really long walk. And they all said, oh, we don't want to go on a walk. That sounds like a nightmare. I don't want to go on a walk. I said, seriously, let's go on a walk. It'd be really fun. And they said, no, 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 we just want to stay at home. Why can't we just stay at home? Why can't we just relax at home? And I said, come on, it's going to be fun. Uh, and I know that actually they love going for a walk. They don't like the idea of it. But when, when we go, they actually quite like it. No, 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 we want to stay at home. We want to stay at home. I'm telling you that story because... Actually, we're starting this new series on the book of Isaiah. It's going to last uh, a number of weeks, you'll see from the term card. And basically, a core issue for the people at this time was one of uh, exile. And Isaiah uh, basically speaks the book of Isaiah about the people uh, in exile and what's going to happen. And a simple definition of the word exile is home, is home. That's the simple definition of the word exile. And uh, at its most straightforward, it means to be away from one's home, whether uh, either being explicitly refused permission to return or being threatened with imprisonment or death if you do return. So what I want to do at the start of this series, if you're with me, is to just make a few introductory comments about the context of some of the people um, in and the issues they're facing at this time as we look at uh, this passage. So basically, I don't know whether you're an expert in uh, the history of uh, the people of God. It's actually quite complicated, but basically at this point in time, there were two kingdoms. Uh, Israel was the northern kingdom and Judah the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., then Judah, the southern kingdom, which housed Jerusalem, fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC. And uh, they conquered Jerusalem, took away on two separate occasions over a 10-year period anyone who was any, anyone to uh, captivity. So basically what happened was that the Babylonians came in and they took off uh, the civil servants, the politicians, uh, Art, artisans, writers, uh, business people, and they carted them off uh, to Babylon. And so I guess how can we grasp what this was like? Uh, it would be, if you like, for us tomorrow in England uh, being attacked by a foreign country and the Queen and Prince Charles and William and Kate and George and Harry and their new little girl all being carted off along with David Cameron, Ed Miliband, Nick Clegg, Nicholas Sturgeon, Nigel Farage, Richard Branson, Simon Cowell, <clears throat> Alan Sugar, Tracy Emin, J.K. Rowling, Peter Aykroyd, Kim Kardashian, Ricky Wilson, Stephen Fry, Rowan Atkinson, Sir Norman Foster, Coldplay, Mumford and Sons, the head teacher of Holy Trinity, and George Abbott, 
maybe the Chancellor of Surrey University and all our beloved friends and family in Bertham and Merrow. Some of them will be killed and the rest will be gone. That's what the sort of reality really of the exile for the people of God was at this time. Um, so this is uh, the sort of situation that we need to bear in mind as we look at this book over the next uh, few weeks. I know that example, I don't want you to make it, it can sound a bit superficial, because it would be good if some of those people did go, wouldn't it, quite frankly? <laughs> Particularly Alan Sugar. Um, but anyway, I shouldn't say that, so let's move on. Whereas my boys wanted to stay at home, they just wanted to be at home, they just wanted to be at home, I took them off into exile in the chantries for this long walk. Actually, they did love it um, at the end. Uh, one of them said, uh, I said, I told you you'd, you'd enjoy it. And I said, did you enjoy it? He said, I absolutely loved it. I said, I told you enjoy it. He said, I, I didn't like it that much. It was all right. This invasion of the Babylonians, though, uh, was brutal for the people of God. And uh, actually, if you want to sort of read into some of this, uh, Exile is always characterized by terror, and if you want to look at Jeremiah 8, 8 to 9, 11, that will give you a picture of what the people were facing at this time. And um, what we're going to do, therefore, over the coming months is just try and get a bit of a handle on this book. We're going to concentrate largely on the second half of it. But what on earth does the book of Isaiah, written approximately, there's lots of discussion around this, 700 years before Jesus, with this theme of exile, what on earth is the relevance of us doing this today? I want to suggest as I begin, having said a bit of the context, that actually uh, this book could not be more relevant for us today, politically, culturally, and also personally. So why is this book so relevant uh, for us Politically today, I don't know about you, I try and watch the news every day. It's normally the 6 o'clock or the, the, the 10 o'clock news. And uh, every night, uh, there's just pictures of people in exile or people being taken off uh, in exile. Numbers, huge numbers of displaced people we see on our screens uh, every night. I don't know whether anyone watched the This World documentary, for example, the other night by the BBC entitled Kill the Christians, which is basically tracking what's happening, happening to the Christian community in the Middle East, uh, with many fleeing from Islamic extremism, from the Nineveh plains in Iraq to the ancient city of Malula in Syria. I don't know whether anyone saw it. It's worth watching. You know, the women who were taken by Boko Haram, the schoolgirls, that's another uh, example. And of course, as Tom has already prayed tonight, what's going on in the Mediterranean with the uh, uh, immigrants, uh, many of them drowning. This is a form of uh, exile. It's a form of uh, being far from home. So the book of Isaiah, politically, you kind of read it, you pick up the themes, and you think, oh my gosh, this is strangely, strangely relevant, uh, the context of this book for us today. What about um, culturally? Why is the book of Isaiah relevant for us culturally? I want to suggest that actually it's not just the Christians in the Middle East who are in exile at the moment. Christianity, which has shaped Western culture, is actually in radical decline in Western Europe. And uh, there's a sense in which we Christians today in the West are, are in a form of exile. 
increasingly less people uh, follow Christ. Uh, our basic doctrine, our basic core beliefs, our basic values are often seen as quite uh, alien. And so we actually find ourselves as Christians living in a foreign land, effectively. And uh, we, we experience this uh, uh, exile, if you like. Okay, that's politically and culturally. Why on earth is the book of Isaiah uh, so relevant for us personally? Well, of course, it's part of the Word of God. The Word of God has enduring, uh, unlasting relevance. But actually, a key theme in the Bible, as you'll know, is that the human race is in exile and it's longing for homecoming. This is a key central theme uh, in the Bible. Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. They're in exile. Uh, the Israelites were in exile in Egypt. The Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And so really, a key biblical theme for us as people, the human condition, is one that we're actually far from home and we find ourselves uh, in exile. And we see this theme picked up in the New Testament, don't we? We're described as um, foreigners and exiles in 2 Peter. Philippians picks up this theme of uh, us as Christians today, there's a sense that we are in relationship with God, but we're living in this strange land. We're far from home. And uh, the context we find ourselves in isn't the context that we're actually going to be in uh, as we face the future and all that Christ is going to do uh, in the future. You see, we're made as people for a place without death or decay, without conditional love or aging, we are, uh, in this sense, alienated. And um, there is a sense, I don't know about you, but I kind of relate to this theme of being uh, in exile. I feel it in my body um, very, very regularly. I feel this sense that I'm not quite at home. I feel disconnected and uh, as though uh, there's more to be done. And this is the... Um, this is the um, Reality for us as people uh, standing uh, this side of uh, until Jesus basically returns and restores all things and the new heaven, the new earth will um, come as mentioned in Revelation 21. So my opening gambit then is that, you know, the context of this book is, is strangely relevant for us. It's strangely um, um, uh, just applicable, not just to us personally, but our context here in, in, in Guildford, to our context uh, also uh, politically. And all I want to do tonight, really, really briefly, is just look at this passage we've just had read and make three points, I think, from Isaiah 6 about how we can survive during the exile, okay? Here's three points. The first is this. Uh, if we're to survive during the exile, we need a big vision of God. We need a big vision of God. I don't know whether you've noticed, uh, I've got new glasses. I went to Boots the Opticians last week, and um, basically I had the eye, my eyes tested. You know, you know what it's like. It's a bit of a pain. Uh, the woman, the very nice optician, said, you need a, a, actually a, a, just a new pair of glasses, and you need a different prescription. So, you know, uh, hundreds of pounds later, I came out, and I, I walked onto Swan Lane. I was like, wow, this is cool. I can, whoa, I can actually see all sorts of stuff. And I walked down the high street. I was going, whoa, and I was looking at people in a slightly strange way. Um, 
And uh, the reality of it is my vision has been expanded and improved. And uh, actually, if we're to survive our exile, we need a big vision of God. Uh, this is what happened to Isaiah, verses 1 to 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim. Each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts of the thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. So Isaiah, I suggest tonight, had this big vision of God. He uh, had this extraordinary vision and uh, he's there in the temple. He sees the robes of God just uh, in the temple, Uh, the train of his robes, if you like, the bottom of God's jeans he just saw in the temple. What on earth is this about? Well, Isaiah is being reminded that God is transcendent and he's imminent. What do I mean by that? These are theological terms. God is huge and he has this vision. God is transcendent. He's separate from and independent of nature and humanity. God is is huge. He has such grandeur and power and majesty. This is the transcendence of God. Uh, He's also imminent. God is present and active within nature, within human nature and within history. And that's signified by God's uh, robe, Uh, being in the temple, this place uh, where people worship God. So Isaiah has this huge image, uh, big vision of who God is, if you like. And uh, if we are to survive in exile, we need to have this big vision of God. It's not something we have to manufacture. It's not something we have to conjure. It's not something we have to create ourselves. The reality of it is the God we worship is absolutely extraordinary. The God we worship, this God who has revealed himself to us, this God who has called us into friendship with him, is extraordinary in his grandeur and majesty and power. And yet, often when we follow him, we can actually just lose sight of him. We can... uh, In the context of exile, when we look at the news, think, God, what on earth are you doing? When we look at what's happening to the Christian community globally, we can think uh, in certain regions, certainly the Middle East, you know, the world, the church is growing, but there's great persecution. God, what are you doing? In our own lives, we can start to question God. That's what happens in exile. You know, why has that happened to me? Why didn't I get that job? Why, when I prayed for that person, are they still sick? Why, why did my mom uh, die? Whatever it might be. These are big questions. And what these things do in exile is they rub us of the grandeur and the confidence we have in God. But if we're to survive uh, personally, uh, in our context, politically, we need to be people who just, like Isaiah, have this big vision of God. and Remember who God is. Remember who it is you are caught up with. Remember who it is I'm caught up with. This extraordinary living and powerful God. So I'm asking you as we open, how is your vision of God right now? How is your vision of this God you're following and you're worshipping?
That's the first thing. We need a big vision of God. Second, if we're going to cope with living in exile, I suggest we need a personal encounter with this extraordinary God regularly. We regularly need to personally encounter our extraordinary God. So before we went for our walk on Saturday morning, we were all sitting around the table eating Weetabix and uh, that kind of thing. And um, my youngest said, oh, Dad, I'm really, really missing Mum. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I'm actually really, really missing Mum. When Bex is away, I sometimes miss her. I sometimes don't. I said that to her this morning, so I'm not being disloyal. She's not here. Um, but you know what it's like. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. All the boys are saying, I really miss Mum. I really, I really uh, wish she'd come. I really want to see her. And actually, you know, we all agreed as a family. We're really, really longing just to see Bex, and we're really, really missing her. And I thought, um, shall I phone Bex up on the color conference? And I said, oh, no. I mean, she's probably, too, she's probably too busy. She's probably in a seminar. She's probably in a worship thing or other. I, I won't phone. And then I thought, actually, maybe I will. But then I thought, actually, no, I'm not going to, because I don't want to appear to be really needy, you know, because uh, I'm a man. I'm hardcore. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I don't want to appear to be really needy. So I didn't really... Um, I didn't really contact her, but we were really missing her. We were just really missing her. And uh, the reality of it is, as Christians, uh, there's a sense in which we need to regularly keep encountering God uh, and um, keep uh, meeting him. And uh, often when we follow God, we can just not miss him at all. We don't encounter him and we don't sort of seek him and we, we don't really miss him at all. And yet Isaiah had this profound, profound encounter with this extraordinary God between verses 5 and 7. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. They used to take coals off uh, out of the uh, holy place on the Day of Atonement each year. And, and, and this image speaks of uh, atoning for sin and forgiveness and sanctification. It's a sort of prefigures what Jesus uh, has done on the cross for us. But Isaiah has this extraordinary encounter with God. And it's so important that actually... You and I are regularly encountering um, God, and we're having uh, these uh, encounters. It was key for the people of Israel. It's key uh, for us today that we keep on encountering uh, God. You see, what's so extraordinary about God is that he lives inside us when we come to faith. There was the first temple, Solomon's temple. It was trashed. Um, um, by the Babylonians. They rebuilt the temple uh, uh, a couple of hundred years later, really. I haven't quite got the dates clear in my mind, but soon afterwards, that temple was trashed by the Romans in AD 70. And uh, actually, the New Testament tells us that when we come to faith, we are the new temple. We are the new temple. And it, we don't just have the Lord's robe in our hearts somewhere when we come to faith. We have God himself living inside us through his Holy Spirit. This is the wonder, this extraordinary God uh, who is holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
is living inside us. And so uh, he's present. And so it's important that we keep to seek encountering God and not getting to a point where we just bump along and don't, don't seek to do that. Because just as the um, Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple, just as the Romans came in and destroyed the temple, uh, there's uh, forces which would seek to destroy our temple, if you like, and stop us from encountering God. The Assyrians and uh, Romans and Babylonians, they're all very alive today. And there's a fight going on as we seek to encounter God. Because actually, uh, we, um, when we encounter God, when we are intimate with God, actually can really take the kingdom forward. This is the reality. So no wonder it's opposed. So how can we basically keep encountering God? Well, I hope this is going to be helpful. But um, basically, I want to suggest tonight that it's important that you work out your pathway to encountering God. What is your personal pathway to encountering God. This is stolen from Bill Hybels in his book, Courageous Leadership, which is an old book now, but a very good book. I'd recommend it. But Bill basically says, we have about six, people have about six different pathways, um, which they often prefer one to encountering God. And I want to run through them, and I want you to ask yourself, which is the way I normally, what's my pathway to encountering God? So here's the first one. For some, it's an intellectual pathway. How do they encounter God? They encounter God through really studying the Bible, through deep teaching, through reflecting on theological issues and doctrinal issues. And that's how some people encounter God. That's the first way. Another way, the second, is a relational pathway. It's not so much uh, about deeper teaching, doctrine, uh, an intellectual approach. It's kind of lots of people encounter God through being with other people and uh, spending time with other people and seeing God uh, uh, in other people. Thirdly, the third pathway is a nature pathway. Some people find, or in, find they encounter God most when they're in nature. Uh, and, um, you know, when I was out in the chantries with the bluebells overlooking the Surrey Hills yesterday with my boys, there's a sense of, gosh, I can really see the goodness of God, the beauty of God uh, in this place. For others, actually, their pathway, fourthly, is a worship pathway. How do they encounter God? Through really singing songs of worship, through um, uh, worshipping God in music and finding encounter in that place. Fifthly, for others, they have a serving pathway. How do they really encounter God? I know people like this. It's actually washing up in the kitchen uh, and serving other people or just seeking to meet the needs of other people. That's, they would say, that's really when I feel close to God. For others, it's a contemplative pathway. How, how do they encounter God? I'd just be still on my own with no one else around and I just like sitting before God, being still and knowing God is God. And then finally for others, uh, there's an activist pathway. How do activists encounter God? By actually just doing lots of things, lots of projects, juggling lots of things for God. Uh, I, I know people like that. 
I wonder which one of those pathways you would, if you had to pick one, which you'd choose. Bill Hybels recommends that we identify what our pathway is and then we actually lean into it. We lean into it. If we're nature people, we make sure we regularly get out into nature. If we are intellectual people, that we regularly feed our minds, uh, read commentaries, uh, listen to stuff online from uh, various places. If it's contemplative, that we do that. So we have to lean into whatever it is helps us encounter God, and we mustn't, mustn't, mustn't feel guilty for our own pathway. You know, someone came up to me this morning after the nine and said, you know, I'm, I'm the intellectual pathway. I, I, I felt so guilty about that, because to be honest, I really struggle with singing songs, or I certainly, I certainly find it hard just to sit still and be contemplative. I have to be studying about it. I wish, I've often felt guilty, because I feel there's something wrong with me. I said, look, that's your pathway. Just pursue it, you know. And uh, don't feel guilty or, you know, the contemplative person is more spiritual than me as an activist or, or whatever the caricatures are. Um, just own your pathway and lean into it. Lean into it for the sake of being fruitful in a context of exile. Bill also says, appreciate all the pathways. I don't know what you're like, but most of us, we kind of think our way is the right way. And we sort of look down on other people that's kind of, oh, gosh, oh, they're just so intellectual. They've just, they just, they've just, they're so dry. They've just intellectualized the whole faith. Or, oh, my gosh, they're just sitting doing nothing, just being still and knowing God. Or, oh, my gosh, they're just like going out in a cagoule and getting wet in the English countryside. What's all that about? But, but actually, we have to recognize that people encounter God in different ways, don't we? And we need to honor that. And then I'd also add to that, that whatever your pathway, whatever your way, be open to the Holy Spirit as you seek to follow your path to encounter God. Because if you're meeting God through commentaries, through doctrine, through reading Calvin's Institutes, it's the Spirit of God who's encountering you. If it's by sitting still, it's the Spirit of God. If it's through working through the countryside, it's the Spirit of God. If it's by serving, it's the Spirit of God. If it's whatever it is, it's the Spirit of God who is basically drawing near and giving you a sense and reality of God's presence with you. So find your pathway and pursue it and settle for nothing less than an intimate journey with Christ. And uh, uh, that was kind of uh, where Isaiah started. So thirdly and finally, my last point, if you like, is that if we're going to cope with exile, we don't just have to have a big vision of God and see God for who he is. We don't have to just seek to encounter him we also need to respond to what he's asking us to do, to respond to what God is asking us to do. This really involves uh, two steps, listening uh, and then doing. And uh, this is verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. These famous words, many, many preached uh, on uh, great, very powerful words through church history. These have been uh, used. But actually, we, we come to faith to be sent out. 
We mustn't forget that. We, we, we don't come to faith just to stand still. We're sent out by the Spirit in mission. And uh, what Isaiah does is says, hey, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And we have to really, I suggest, say to God every day, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Because God is nudging us. God is nudging us every day, speaking to us every day to do certain things. We need to think big in terms of the big things, yield our life to God. I suggest what do you want me to do work-wise, where to live, all this sort of stuff. But also, really, we need to think small because every day God is nudging us through his spirit to do certain things. Do you ever feel uh, God stirring you to phone someone? Anyone? Lots of us. Anyone encourage someone? Anyone just take a meal round uh, to someone? Uh, God is doing this all the time. We just have to say, here I am, God. Send me. Here I am, God. Send me. Of course, we often, um, I don't want to sound critical. I know, I know many of us are doing amazing things and saying regularly, here I am, send me, God. But, you know, as Christians, we often have a problem with our butts. What do I mean by that? We often say, okay, God, I've heard you. I've heard you. Yes, but I don't have all the answers. Yes, but God, I haven't studied theology. I couldn't possibly do that. Yes, but God, uh, I actually am really, really busy. I can't do this. Uh, Yes, but God, I just feel inadequate and weak. But actually, we have to, like Isaiah, despite all those things, just say, here I am, God. Send me. And I think the greatest stumbling block, the greatest challenge to us, I think, is not sort of disobedience and not really wanting to follow God. The thing that holds us back is fear. It's fear of inadequacy, fear of what people would think, fear of looking stupid, fear of uh, what our non-Christian friends might think. And actually, we need to be people, if we're going to be like Isaiah, who just go for it and get over uh, this problem of fear. You know, there's, um, there's someone I know or I've heard of who, uh, to his uh, staff team, a famous global sort of, uh, the head of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, is it? He says to his staff team regularly, uh, what would you do if you weren't so fearful? What would you do if you weren't so fearful? He gets them to identify that. Then he says, go and do that. He says, made all the difference. Because we're so fearful as people, aren't we? Um, you know, I, I felt God, I felt God nudge me at the opticians. Pray for this optician, because we, we got talking. I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, this is awkward, awkward, awkward. Shall I do that, shan't I? So I said to the guy, hey, would you, I know this is weird. I'm actually, a, I'm actually a vicar. I'm a priest. Could I pray for you? And it was a bit awkward, to be honest. <laughs> but I did, I did pray for the guy. But, you know, every day we just take ourselves off the pitch and think, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go for that. And then the days pass, the months pass, the years pass. And this is really costly to say, actually, whom shall I send? Not me, God, I'm too frightened. It's costly because God wants to lead us into life and life to the full. And when we say, here I am, send me, we just get used by God and find life in an extraordinary way. So I want to end 
tonight just by encouraging us not just to come back to God and remind us who it is we're caught up with and have a big vision with him, not just to seek encountering him, but to keep saying yes to God when you get the prompt, when you get the nudges of the Spirit, when you hear of stuff. Keep saying yes to God and let God lead you into life. If you do that, you will survive, you'll flourish in exile, as we will see as we look through this book. Amen. So why don't we stand together? And let's just enjoy the presence of the Spirit. This Spirit who lives inside us as the temples, we are the temples of God. And let's just wait and let God be God. And we're not going to rush away. We're just going to stand in the presence of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you you're here. We thank you that uh, we don't have to sort of conjure you up or do a rain dance for you to come, but you're actually here. And Lord, we want to pray that you'd increase what you're doing amongst us. We want to pray as we've read that chunk of scripture about Isaiah that you'd be speaking to us right now, Lord. More and more, Lord. Thank you, Father. More and more. Thank you, Father. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us uh, around what it is you want us to do and say yes to. And I had a funny picture during the worship tonight of people just coming to the front and they were putting like false uh, legs uh, just down here, a part of them. I said, Lord, what, what's that? And I, I felt God just say, look, this is a time where we have to just uh, be ourselves, be authentic, stop pretending we've got it all under control, stop pretending we don't limp, that we don't, we don't have difficulties, but actually this is a time to be honest and to actually come back to God and just say yes. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to hide your fears. You don't have to get rid of all your inadequacies or anxieties. Actually, you just need to say, here I am, send me. God is after uh, devotion, not perfection. That's what he's after. Someone who, like Isaiah, just says, yeah, Lord, here I am, send me. So I want to just give you the opportunity to be prayed for tonight. And I'd encourage you just to come out tonight. If you want to just... um, you know, say, okay, God, here I am, send me. I'm not going to sort of hide. I'm not going to pretend I've got it all together. I'm just going to come in vulnerability and just come forward tonight, and we're going to pray for you. So let's just wait, and I invite, I invite anyone who wants to do that just to come forward now.
There's lots of you, and a lot of the crutches, it's like a fear thing, I think. So just be bold. And we're going to stand and wait. There's a number of you who kind of have felt the, uh, you felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but you feel you haven't responded. There's no condemnation in this tonight at all, but it's kind of like, if you want to just uh, physically sort of say, okay, God, I really, I really want to try and respond, even though I find it really difficult, and I feel inadequate, whatever it is, embarrassed, or could you really do that? Just, just come. There's, there's more people. We're just going to keep standing, by the way, I'm waiting. It's a bank holiday tomorrow, so we could do this all night, couldn't we? We're just waiting on God. We're just going to wait on God. If some members of the ministry team could come up and get ready to pray for these people, that would be really wonderful. Why don't, if you've never come forward to be prayed for ever, why not come forward for prayer tonight? Break out. Think, actually, I'm going to take a risk. And we could do with some more members of the ministry team. We could do with uh, a few guys, a few men. And we're going to keep waiting on God. And, um, you know, if anyone feels like God is speaking to you for the church and you regularly come to St. Saviour's, you feel the prompting of the Spirit to say something, you've got a scripture or a picture, why not come up? And we're just going to listen as well, if there's anyone. There might not be, but if anyone, I just want to give that opportunity. We're waiting. We just love you, Holy Spirit. We want to thank you, Lord, that in history people have sought to trash you and your temple, trash people's relationship with you, persecute your people, Lord. But actually, if anything, Lord, it's strengthened the church, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, that your church is growing phenomenally globally at this time. And Lord, all the things that we're going to discover, Lord, in the book of Isaiah as he points to Christ and all the things Christ said, Lord, are actually true. So we want to worship you and praise you. So Malcolm just wants to, by the looks of things, read some verses. Uh, just, just before the service, I was meditating on Jeremiah. And it says this, that the Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And this is what hit me. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt. 
And after that, it talks about taking up tambourines and going out to dance with the joyful and planting vineyards, which I think means about fruitfulness. And there will be a day when the watchmen cry out, come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Mm, Thank you. So words of encouragement, words of hope. Maybe you feel in exile in your life at the moment. You feel like one of those people we heard of tonight. You feel like you're in Babylon, for goodness sake, and you've been carted off, and your life hasn't right now been where you want it to be. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you. Anyone else feel God is saying anything? Looks like we have another scripture coming our way, which is good. This is one of my favorite verses from 2 Corinthians 5. Mm. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this, this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thank you. So again, just this reality of what we're like as people, and how... God knows us and uses us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So if you're feeling fearful, if you feel inadequate, if you feel um, you couldn't possibly do that, if you feel, oh my goodness, you're just actually feeling what the people of God has always felt when faced with this call um, to follow Christ. We've got, uh, should we have two more? Two more from people, and then, and then we'll keep going. So, um, what's your sense? Um, I just feel like the Lord's saying that um, it's, okay, it's okay to be afraid to dance down the aisles and be joyful, but it's only me that's watching you, um, and it's all for me. So, don't be afraid, because it's for me. Yeah, so, don't be afraid to dance down the aisle. Uh, you know, fear is so crippling, isn't it? And that sense of it's only me watching. So we need to just free ourselves up, don't we? And uh, seek to try and get rid of that fear of people and self-consciousness as we follow God. We'll have one more. Jackie. Um, This is just a prayer request, really. I have a friend called Val who's not a Christian, and she has the job in Aldershot of talking to the Gurkhas and and Sherpas and their families, and she told me today this has been the worst week of her life. Um, As she feels very guilty, they sent something like 15 Gurkhas out to to go and climb Mount Everest, um, and not many of them are coming back. 
and she has to tell those families in the next week or so that they've lost people. She has to console them, and she isn't a Christian, and I just feel very strongly that we should hold these people up and that maybe we should pray for for her burden to be lifted and that maybe she could find God in this. Mm. And her name is Val. Mm. Okay. So if you haven't come up, why not pray for Val right now? And then we're going to just worship God. Carry on. Okay, if we could have an, maybe another woman to pray. There's a, there's a woman here to be prayed for, a man on my left. Maybe uh, if one of the students or interns could come down. Okay. Oh, no, just relax, yeah. That's good. <laughs> so we're going to worship. Let's stand. We're going to worship for a while. Thanks, Pete. So we're going to worship, enjoy this time. If you want to dance in the aisle without fear, feel free. Let's stand together. We're just going to worship God for a while.